Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello. I'm Peter Ayers. It's great to have your company for this episode of the The Stages podcast. Today, my guest is Mr. Henry Moss. Henry Moss is a queer stand-up comedian. His impish antics and sardonic take on aspects of the entertainment industry are served up as a daily dose on various social platforms. In the past year, Henry has developed his online presence with over 14,000 followers on TikTok. His niche explores and satires life in musical theatre, drama school and life in London. His daily sketches have garnered a devoted fan base who are keen to see his work live at venues around London. Mr Henry Moss was nominated for the latest Comedy Award at the Brighton Fringe Festival in 2019 and was a LGBTQI plus pick at the 2020 Vault Festival, proving his comic sensibility is one to watch. His new show, Henry, Queen of Squats, is playing August 19th and 20th at the Hens and Chickens Theatre for the Camden Fringe. Henry is a Sydney boy and it was a treat to catch up with him once again from his home in London. Have you had a good day? Yeah, very civilised. Um, I've got a crazy beagle puppy. Um... So just being a dog mum in the active wear every morning, lining up, getting a coffee. Um, so yeah, all, all caffeinated and ready. I saw, I see your uh, gorgeous pooch in various uh, Instagram photographs, etc. What's oh, his name? Oh, really? <laughs> um, Gracie. Oh, what's her name? I should say. Yeah. Or is it? Or yeah. her stage name is Gra- Gra- Gracie Jessica Barker. <laughs> have you had her for long um one year um yeah june last year she's 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 over one year old take up a lot of you time dog, do you? i would love a dog in fact i was telling somebody this today i had a dream this week that um i had a dog i, I got a dog and it was an adorable thing and i called it jerry herman <laughs> Perfect. Oh, that's a good name for a dog oh yes fantastic jerry. down at sydney park Jerry Herman, Jerry Herman, come here. <laughs> That's perfect. If I get a boy, I'll I'll steal that. Well, I did actually want two Scottish Terriers and call them George and Ira. Oh, that's the dream. <laughs> that would be what? so perfect. One day, one day. Mr. Henry Moss, lovely to catch up again, uh, although you're on the yes. other side of the, the world in, in uh, Old Blighty. Yes calling in from the London office. You've been there since uh, 2016, was it? About four years? Yeah, 2016. Now, um, feels about a decade with lockdown, but, um, yeah, missing Sydney so much. It's so good to see your face. What do you miss about Sydney? Um, well, obviously friends and fam, um, really good oat latte, the could you walk a good brunch? Um, yeah, just everything. The good weather. Can you find a decent coffee in London? There is. It's um, there's only like two or three really good places, and there's a line around the block for them. So it's it's a whole scene. You gotta get in your best active wear and make a morning of it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I believe you're an avid reader, especially of self help books. Yes. Oh my God. Um, I am Oprah spiritual. So I basically read <laughs> everything she endorses. Um, and I love giving unsolicited advice, uh, to friends, um, 
with all my self-help knowledge. <laughs> well, what's the, what's the most satisfactory title that you've read? Oh, God. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic is fantastic. Um, it's similar to The Artist's Way, which has been around for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, that um, That's helped get over perfectionism and just start churning out the content online. That sort of ethos of just doing a daily practice of it. Um, anything by Brene Brown. She's this fabulous Texan um, a social worker who is brilliant. She's got a, a TED talk on, on Netflix and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I just watch them on Instagram live and, you know, I can't apply any of their wisdom to myself, but, but I love <laughs> regurgitating it. Do they feed into your comic creations, I mean, your brand of comedy, or have they enabled you to to unlock that clown within? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always good to check in with real life issues for comedy. So they're dealing with with massive um, heartbreak and suffering and anxiety and and resilience. So I think that's sort of what makes comedy so interesting. Like it wouldn't be fascinating for me to talk about how fabulous and flourishing I am. So it's so good <laughs> to um, to fill up my well with with real life inspiration and then that sort of sincere American, oh my God, let's sit down and connect, um, works really well for satire as well. It's good to hear that you're missing Sydney. You know, you know we're in a, a bit of a patch at the moment though. Uh, what has it been, what's your COVID experience yes. been like well, COVID here has felt like um, an 11 month long silent meditation retreat that I wanted to leave on day three, um, <laughs> but I've made the best of it. Um, it's really difficult to, to, to come back. We do love the Emirates lounge, um, but you know, the business class flights are a touch expensive at the moment. Um, plus my mum just on FaceTime said, everyone's losing their mind in Sydney. Um, so I'll, I'll probably try and come back um, <laughs> around summer, hopefully, when things have calmed down. London um, has a good um, keep calm and carry on attitude. Uh, so I have jogged on uh, with lots of oat lattes and TikTok and teaching singing on Zoom and tried to make, tried to make the best of it. What were you doing in March 2020 when it all sort of started to, well, certainly it hit us here in March 20, 2020. Were you working or, or doing anything which came to an abrupt halt? So luckily my cabaret quadruple threat, um, which isn't really a cabaret, it's more of a one-man jukebox musical, <laughs> but um they that was programmed february 23rd so luckily i did get to do that that probably was where covid began um underground at the vaults <laughs> in london i think even a friend of mine flew in from hong kong for the day um so luckily that went through and then i was producing another fabulous comedy called one and only uh and that was uh march 17th and as producer i was looking at the box office forecasts going hmm so if we're performing to a two percent capacity we're actually going to have to owe two grand to the theater um but luckily vault festival um just cancelled it and said don't worry you don't have to pay any cancellation fee so we got out by the skin of our teeth <laughs> Are the vaults associated with um, the under under the railroads, the arches, and all that sort of thing? Is that are those theaters? Yeah, it's um, it's very Sweeney Todd. It's the dark, gloomy arches around Waterloo Station, and they use them for massive immersive theater or big music events. But in January, February, March, uh, usually they do the Vault Festival, which is like a sort of Edinburgh Fringe, but a bit more bit more grungy. They're great spaces too, aren't they? They're sort of extraordinary what London have done with those those arches, turning them into all sorts of um, venues. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing ambiance and um, it suited the cabaret to have all the exposed brick. And I tried to have a few improvised lines up my sleeve for when a massive train would go over the uh, top of my head <laughs> and tried to work that in as um dramatic you, effect for whatever scene it was. You could do Sally Bowles in, in cabaret. Do yes. you remember that scene? <laughs> Screaming under the bridge. She goes under the bridge with Cliff and the train goes over and just oh, I guess opens I up a lung. 
Yeah, there you go. A lot that, of emotional breakthroughs. That's for next time. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the first time you've lived in London, though, is it? You you lived there as a child. Yes, um, as a little young puff in London in 97, out <laughs> of 2000. Um, that's where the story comes. Apparently, when I came out um, at the end of, towards the end of high school, my mum said, oh, honey, do you know when you were in London, you said, mommy, would it be okay if I was gay? And she said, well, that'd be fine, honey. And I said, well, I am gay. Well, I am gay. Um, I had a little North <laughs> London accent at that time, but um, it was knocked out of me when I returned to Nicholson Street Public in 2000, just around the end of the Olympics. Um, but I had a great time in London. I went to Highgate Ballet School and um, yeah, it was the 90s. It was the Friends golden era. It was, it was great. Were you born there or are your parents are English, I guess? No. Um, uh, Dad uh, got a job over in London, so he was able to get the ancestry visa and brought us all over. Great. And I, I was just five years old. Um, I remember arriving. The Spice Girls were at its peak. Uh, Princess Diana had recently died. It was, um, yeah, fabulous time. Was It was coming out an easy experience at the end of high school? Um, it was. Um, as an educator, you would appreciate how much pressure there is with HSC. And it was actually a conversation about um, my sisters getting fabulous high ATARs and me being like, you don't understand. You guys are putting so much pressure on me with expectations. And then it was just like a conversation about expectations that I blurted out. I'm gay. But um, I had a very easy and blessed mum's best question was, can I tell my friends? <laughs> so it wasn't planned. It was just a, a happy accident. No, it wasn't planned. Um, you know, I, mean, I was I was by in year eight, you know, as as we all were. Um, but, and I was out to friends. But um, yeah, it took, always takes a while. It's always a bit cringy with parents. What were the um, <laughs> the influences in your your youth? I believe absolutely fabulous was uh, quite key. Yes. Uh, Absolutely fabulous was groundbreaking. Uh, you were able to the, recite all the scripts, weren't you? At, at five or six, seven or eight. <laughs> well, that's it. And my my psychologist um, therapist said to Kathy, um, Henry, I think I think this is a little bit inappropriate for Henry. And she said, it's too late. He's already memorised the scripts. <laughs> And I think you can track all the trauma right back to to that uh, <laughs> moment as me, as a four or five year old, um, just absorbing everything of absolutely fabulous. And so now I've manifested that here in London. What was your first experience of live performance that you can recall? So I went to a lovely little hippie school called Birchgrove Community School, um, which isn't still open, but um, I was in kindergarten and I think it was like the play was called like Lovers of Verona or something. So me and my best friend Celeste were the young lovers in the flashback. So that was my first um, straight role, uh, very transformative. Um, no no Sydney Theatre nomination, but, but it was good exposure at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoyed it. Uh, you went to uh, Newtown Performing Arts High School. What a great place to to go for your uh, for your secondary education what how, what did that do yes. to you for a performer at that, that ground level i mean i guess you were learning all the fundamentals yeah newtown was brilliant uh, the it was good toughing up for for showbiz you're always auditioning for ensembles and companies and and running to see the lists of who got into dance company i was in the year 7 dance stream and was in every uh, thing, state drama company, symphonic wind ensemble, <laughs> everything. I can't believe the things you can do when you're young, um, just packing a country road bag full of textbooks and, and dance clothes ready for a massive 12 hour day. And um, it was, it was brilliant. It, you're just being so creative. And yeah, I think a lot of people must be nostalgic for their times at performing arts high school, whether it's fabulous McDonald college or, or anywhere. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The first time I laid eyes on you, and then we, our paths would have crossed several times um, after that, was um, in an on-stage performance. So in your Year 12 drama year, your group performance mm. was nominated and you were able to show it to all of your peers from around the state as an exemplary, exemplary work. And, um, you know, you were obviously a very funny boy. Uh, were, you the class cl- <laughs> were you the class clown? Uh, well, Newtown was the Mickey Mouse Club. You know, I had a lot of um, competition for Class Clown. Um, I did actually, um, in year nine, get to the state finals for a Class Clown competition that the International um, Melbourne Comedy Festival did. Oh, that's I did a, a little stand-up skit. comedy? Yeah, I did a little bit um, where I puffed my lips up to look like I have a collagen overdose and I did a little Oprah bit. Um, but yeah, the um, there's so many hilarious friends that I'm still really close with from Newtown, and class clown. Yeah, because the because I think in that group performance, I had such a good group, and we took it so seriously. That final uh, group performance, you you would have loved us as a as a year twelve teacher, and we would do um, sleepovers every weekend and take it deadly serious and i think my character was trying to cling on to a dream girls dvd so it was a little bit of a dream girls choreography uh, moment there that we were able to slip in and um somehow they got the music license for so it was uh, such a dream performing for all those school excursions for a week it was such a such a good time you're obviously getting as much performing experience as you can once you leave um high school was being coming an actor always on your radar um, I think everyone wants to be a marine biologist at some point in your five, but yeah, otherwise, <laughs> um, definitely performing. I have two older sisters who are always in dance class at Honeybrook's dance school. At three years old, I was doing interpretive dance to Mariah Carey's Hero, and so they slipped me into dance class for the babies on the floor. Shout out to Miss Leanne at Honeybrook's, and always been pushed into you know, music nurturing classes and all of that nonstop. Um, hence, hence the burnout and the, uh, <laughs> the meltdown <laughs> now. Um, yeah, always wanted to perform. And that's the experience I give, I give students who are leaving high school who want to become actors, you know, because it can be a few years before a training institution like NIDA or, or Whopper take you in because they want to see an emotional maturity and and all that sort of development. So to get as much experience yes. as you can, and that's generally through community theatre groups, etc. So mm. again, I, I met you again the next time in a production of La Cage Folle, and you were playing a Cajal. Yes. So you're putting your your dance <laughs> skills to to the fore there. Oh, that was great. That was um so Sonia Benson um is incredible uh, choreographer and director. And she was doing the tap ensemble at School Spectacular. And I just got into the tap ensemble. I'm not a very good tapper, but luckily I, you know, really performed the uh, 42nd Street audition. And I just love that I must have been so clearly gay that she was like, would Henry like to be a Cargel in Miranda Musical Society's production of La Cage? <laughs> <laughs> so you could say I was scouted, you know, that was my big break. And uh, that was fabulous because I was doing Brent Street that year. So that was supposed to be my year, gap year to find myself, you know, so I could come back to Opera Nighter and say, look how much I've grown. But it turned out to just be a jam-packed year of doing commercial dance, hair flicks to Rihanna and Locajo Fall rehearsals and High School Musical 2 at Chatswood Musical Society. So I was just running off adrenaline, eating a porto and, and dancing 24-7. And and playing Eric Younglove in Privates on Parade, where we met again. I mean, it was quite extraordinary that yes, this kid kept that was popping up and, and being wonderful. Yeah, I wish someone had told me that if if I'm not playing gay, then I'm the I'm always the like short token pansy boy in the gang, because I was sort of that character again in Spring Awakening, and it's so much fun. I love being in a in a bro group, but being the token like no, you can't. Uh, so we had so much fun on Privates and Parade, but that was after Whopper, so I, I was fully trained and awakened by then. Oh well, one of your one of your first uh, one of your first gigs. So let's talk about yes. Whopper, um, training institution in in Perth. 
Um, mm. How did you feel going over there? Because I was going over there. I, I'd never been to Perth, sight unseen. I was thinking, what if this place is just a tin shed in the middle of the desert? <laughs> but it's an extraordinary facility, yeah. isn't it? Oh, I miss Perth, particularly now um, in lockdown. They are just having a hoot. Um, it's such a beautifully isolated city that they can just have the best year. Um, Perth was wonderful. Uh, Whopper is in Mount Lawley, so it's a gorgeous little suburban area. So I was able to ride my bike around and, you know, raise a scooter to Whopper and back, and it was the best experience. I was in a share house um, with fabulous actors and costume designers and so many historical memories. I met a lot of besties, um, lifelong friends from that. Um, three-year crash course in in character building uh, exercises and uh, yeah, how did you find Wapa? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, that there were so many tribes forming this one big community. You know, you had the the mm. conservatorium downstairs, so all of the opera students and instrumentalists, and you had a jazz course, and you had the ballerinas running off to class, yes. and the music theatre students and the actors and. Um, Everybody knew each other. It was it was glorious. And then, of course, um, I think it's important to to get to know the environment outside the training institution. And Perth is just gorgeous. I mean, those those May afternoons where you'd finish school and all rush down to the beach. You could still swim in May. I know best beaches in Australia. Well, if if I could do it again, I I would be way more pragmatic and book in times to go to the beach, but we were so serious about our craft. We'd be like, no, I'm I'm not drinking tonight and just go home and learn our Chekhov monologue. I wish I'd gone to the beach more. But we we also did also work very hard and play very hard. Um, I started a tradition of a Halloween party every year at the Big Share House and we'd have outrageous costumes and I think they're still doing that. So it was uh, it was a good balance, yeah. Okay. <laughs> One of my funny thoughts is just everybody, obviously it was taught to us it's important to remain hydrated. So everybody would walk around with a one or two litre bottle of water and just drink all day <laughs> and piss all day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great though, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and the, the steamer and the scarf around the neck and, um, I mean, you'll never have three years just to roll around in paint and experiment and find yourself. So you have to lean in. It's so much fun. Yeah. And of course, all the all the connections and the network you make with with fellow classmates from the year mm. above or the year below who go on to do wonderful things in the industry. And um, yeah, it's great to know those. Yes. Folks. It's so nice knowing everyone in shows. And my mother will go up to Whopper grads assuming they know me and they'll be like, hi, I'm Henry Moss's mother. You don't know me from a bar of soap, but that was fucking fabulous. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> but you were warmer than Julie Andrews. And they'll be like, um, who are you? Yeah. So what, what, what's the first professional gig that you scored out of, out of Whopper? Uh, yeah, I guess, well, Privates and Parade is, uh, I don't know what that is, sort of, Pro-Am, Communist Theatre. <laughs> but then I had um, Bring It On, the musical, was a fun bucket list because I was able to play the straight romantic lead, which was so much fun. And we got to take that to the Gold Coast and being able to go to the beach and then do a performance is so much fun. And obviously it's the cult cheerleader movie made into a musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So the music's great. I got a really good um, belty song in it. And the cast was so fun because it was such a great mix of go-getter dancers, cheerleaders, strong singer actors, such a fun show. Do you like auditions? And are you good at auditions or fill you with dread? <laughs> I have a bit of PTSD from so many auditions I've done over the years. In, in a way, I've not stopped auditioning from the age of 10 onwards. And I do, I need to do an overpriced audition masterclass, actually, because especially with um, dance calls, it's such a whole other art form in how to get the focus and show that you're appealing and a hard worker and uh, and really make sure that they still want to see you to sing for the second round or or um, 
or practicing dealing with nerves for the first round singing audition and all of that is a whole other ball game um, that you have to get through before you can get the show. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, definitely more experienced, but yes, it's, it's so nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You learn on the job, don't you? Through those experiences, acquire little skills each time you audition. And as you say, it's one thing to, to know your stuff, the song or the, the script that you're performing. It's another thing to be in that room and to cope with those external pressures, that table that can have, five, six, mm. 12 people on it. Uh, always be kind to the accompanist, um, light tapping for the tempo, all of that. And I got the opportunity to be on the panel. Um, I was working for a fabulous theatre company, Les Enfants Terribles, and I got to help with auditions. So I was able to be um, the bitch on the panel, which was fun, read opposite. And it was so interesting seeing you know, what works in the room and what doesn't. I think it's so important to do a really bold first take and then you're more likely to get direction and, and a hint of what they're looking for rather than being terrified with a conservative um, first version. What was the name of that company again? I love the way you say that. <laughs> um, they just call it Les Enfants L-E-T. Um, it's a fabulous immersive theatre company that I got to do um, a six-month uh, placement with. Um as part of my master's at, at, at Central School. And they were brilliant. I learned a lot from them. Did you go to London to, to, to study, to do your master's? Or was it a, a big adventure? No, that was a slight step stage left. I came very much with the musical theatre dream in mind in 2016. And then I just had so much fun doing my cabaret work and then... I was like, hmm, I'm really sick of not having creative control. So I then did this master's in creative producing, which is at um, Royal Central School of Speech and Drama, where the greats like Judy Dench went and Graham Norton. It, it wasn't an acting course. It was just a fabulous uh, learning how to get your teeth into producing theatre, whether it's fringe or commercial musicals and that was incredibly empowering because then I was able just to imply everything I learned <laughs> to uh, my self-producing work. Not bad, not bad. Now tell me about the the queer cabaret scene of East London. It's quite a, a yeah. vivid scene, I gather. It's so wonderful and because a lot of the queens, um, as probably people have learned from watching UK's Drag Race, um, a lot of British queens sing live. So there's a little bit more of an intersection with cabaret and drag in in London, particularly East London, opposed to American drag queens who are a bit more a pageant, a bit more polished. So there are a lot of lot more beards, um, a lot more fabulous gender fluid, non-binary experimental work, and just such an appreciation for fringe theatre here. Um, whether you can afford to take it up to Edinburgh or not, there's such a good scene for little grungy productions. And I've made some brilliant friends who uh, are yeah, drag or cabaret artists, and it, it makes me really excited. To, to be here sort of in the gonads of it all and then I can hopefully bring some of that pizzazz back um, to Sydney when I can visit next. So how did you enter the world of comedy or cabaret over there? How did you put your toe in the uh, water and, and then dive? So in 2015, I did the Sydney Fringe with my cabaret quadruple threat. So I did have that show um, under my belt and then I did Camden Fringe in 2017. Uh, with quadruple threat um which was a nice little introduction and tried to invite lots of new london friends to that and then i would just see all of their shows and support um in the latest shows in in east london and then got edinburgh fringe and saw 100 shows and uh, made a lot of friends there are a few opera grads as well who are over in london in the scene as well so i was able to dip my acrylic toe in quite easily a quadruple Threat was nominated for Best Comedy at the 2019 Brighton Fringe. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we, know, we know what a triple threat is. What's the fourth element? Um, well, that would be um, TEDx, uh, self-help, motivational speaker. Um, I played um, washed-up Australian national treasure, uh, fictional egomaniac Harry Ledgerman, 
and his wife Crystal Lee and their showbiz sham marriage in Quadruple Threat. So the setting was um, them trying to stay relevant with with TED Talks and him promoting his his memoir entitled Quadruple Threat. And yeah, I was very lucky that um, that a fabulous critic came one night to Brighton and and, and nominated it. Um, luckily, he loved all the musical theatre references and me bursting into music in the mirror and and Judy Dench singing singing um, Send in the Clowns. So um, all of that went down well. <laughs> you do Judy Dench doing Send in the Clowns? I do, and her verbatim um, Parkinson's interview before she goes into it. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw that production, and she was extraordinary, wonderful at the National Theatre. When she played oh, Desiree really? in uh, Little Night Music. Yeah, yeah, it was wonderful. Yes, so I do a little bit of Judy in the stand-up as well. Just I don't have a full orchestra, but I, you know, I, I do what I can. I've seen a bit of, well, I've seen a lot of Crystal <laughs> Lee um, through various YouTube uh, films that you've done. Um, she's an extraordinary yes. character. Um, based on anyone we know or, a, or an amalgam? <laughs> Um, Crystal Lee in an amalgamation of, um, you know, the the terrifying bosses we have at, at temp office jobs, um, uh, really good networkers in the theatre industry, um, perhaps a little bit of the, the hard-ass bitches on The Real Housewives of Melbourne, perhaps a little bit of that sprinkled in, perhaps a bit of my mother, perhaps uh, an unfiltered bit version of myself you know it's all just thrown in there and I can be an absolute cow and, and live my um nail uh heartbreaking uh, agent dream um is it I don't want to put you on the spot but is it possible to say hello to Crystal what would she think of podcasting do you think um, well, Peter, it's such a joy to be on the podcast. I've been low-key furious you haven't asked me <laughs> earlier. Uh, when I said saw you, you've had, you know, Trevor Ashley and all these people and you haven't asked me, I was sort of um, quite hurt. You know, we go back um, donkey's years and um, I'm currently isolating in Bali. I got around uh, the quarantine with the loophole here because I am a business owner running a pyramid scheme here uh, in Bali. And um, it's been a very tough year for the arts, but we're making do. I'm forcing all my kids to do TikToks and um, we're making it work, you know, onwards. Lovely to hear that, Crystal. Thank you. Um, Henry, does um, Crystal make an appearance in Henry, Queen of Squats, your new show? Yes, she does. I do constantly um, change characters. And the joy of stand-up is there's no long costume changes or anything i can just whip her out and she definitely has a few cameos um along with many other characters some some transformational acting just whip on a hat or a scarf and away you go oh exactly well that's as crystal would say to me you know why kill yourself doing the australasian tour of cats when you can have 50 minutes of on stage time just you Milking it. <laughs> <laughs> who, who are your comedy heroes, Henry? Uh, so, yeah, obviously, obviously, like French and Saunders, um, uh, you know, Kath and Kim, Summer Heights High. Uh, there's a brilliant stand-up uh, from America called Maria Bamford who, who really talks about mental health um in such a hilarious self-deprecating way so if i could be a gay australian maria bamford that would be wonderful um there is yes yeah, so many inspiring um stand-up comedians out there particularly new ones coming up in the london scene like um mawan rizwan um opened for jonathan van ness that queer eye yep um personality and um He's he's brilliant, Amawan, and um, yeah, I'm I'm just getting so much inspiration and also just um, undiscovered talent. Like there are some brilliant comedians on TikTok who are hustling, who who keep me on my toes as well. Well, TikTok has certainly become a platform for a lot of budding artists to show their wares and to to, to gain a a following. Uh, yours is certainly 
exploded, I think. And, and looking at your followers on Instagram, the numbers are huge. Does it take long to accumulate a following like that? Yeah, with TikTok, it's brilliant at finding um, who your tribe is. And the algorithm is such an evil genius that with my, um, you know, traumatic drama school sketches or Crystal Lee or dance school flashback sketches, all of that, you know, the more triggering, the better. So the algorithm really encourages <laughs> me to really get into the heartstrings of people and then they love it and they share it to their friends and then it starts snowballing and um, then it's able to find who my target audience is, which is um, a sort of a great mix now. It's sort of 30% US, UK and Australia. So it's quite exciting that um, even my Aussie character characters are resonating with the Yanks and uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's very exciting. So how would you define your your brand of or your style of of comedy? It's very flamboyant, it's um, subversive. Uh... Yes. Um, God, well, in an application I would write, um, you know, genre fluid stand-up, uh, building to a campery climax, um, changing lives in the community, uh, or it could just be me being a dickhead, um, you know, something <laughs> along those lines. But I, I've transitioned from from, from cabaret to stand up. Um, has been a really joyous transition for me because I can still burst into song and dance, but the production values are, are so low that you can just change so quick and just rock up in, you know, a gorgeous Hamptons outfit and just really connect with the audience rather than me doing a painfully long four minutes 30 song and the audience is being out. With stand-up, I can really connect and communicate and, and make sure everyone's on, on board. What makes you laugh? What do you find funny? Uh, just painfully honest sketches are... Uh, there are some really funny TikToks of like UK mums or Aussie mums or, um, you know, dickhead bartenders. And I just love nuance or, uh, or like, you know, Jume obviously in privates in a, in Summer Heights High, all of the painfully honest, um, characters just kill me. And, uh, and then condensing that into stand up, a lot of it's about, you know, building tension and, and release and, um, I just love taking the piss out of very serious people. <laughs> so, so writing your comedy and writing your shows, do, do you have a particular time of the day that you work or you, you just, when the muse takes you, you sit down and begin to write? Are you, are you disciplined as a writer? Oh, I have to be, um, even though it's such a blessing to have the time to write, you have to drag yourself <laughs> to do it like... I, I do the wanky morning pages that the artist's way uh, recommends and I can pretend I'm a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist writing a stream of consciousness in the morning, not worrying about being funny, just getting uh, the crap out of my mind. And then with that, an idea for a TikTok or a line in the stand-up will just come to me when I'm getting a coffee and then I'll try and put it down or force myself to get in the shower, put the curl cream in, get some good lighting and force myself to do a sketch because I do feel like a million bucks after I've done it. And uh, it's it's easy to, to procrastinate as an artiste. So it's important that I make it a daily practice. You seem to be quite prolific with uh, the TikTok sketches. Um, do, you do release one every day, do you? Or is there a, a number that you aim for every week? I, uh, yeah, I'm trying to churn them out like Monday to Thursday night. I think people are home scrolling up until midnight. So I aim for about four a week and, um, yeah, the, the, the more triggering, the better. A recent one went well where I'm a, uh, summer dance intensive teacher who's, uh, furious if anyone dances not in their gender-specific choreography. So the boys must be gunk, gunk, masculine, and the girls can wick their hair and please stick to it. And that, that went really well. I think everyone got flashbacks to their to their dance summer school that they were forced to do it at 12. So you just got to get right into the subconscious. <laughs> 
So it's a solo show, is it? You film it all and then edit it together yourself? I'm, I'm not familiar with TikTok. I must actually look into this um, this platform. Oh, well, but I, I, is I, it quite I, easy to yeah. use? No, it's very fiddly. I think they make it purposely tricky so you're constantly going onto the app and then you'll accidentally get distracted watching other people's content and then four hours has passed. Uh, but no, I, I post my my best hits on Instagram. So you've seen you've seen all all the best sketches, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's the future. I think it uh, it's very empowering. You're not waiting for four gatekeepers to say yes. You can just start putting your comedy out, and if the people decide it's it's good, then then things start happening. Have you ever bombed with your live shows? Have there, been, have, there been those, <laughs> have there been those evenings where you think, oh, no, I, I should have been a dental nurse? <laughs> uh, so with five-minute open mic nights, um, usually it's it's a great supportive crowd because they're friends, um, you know, of the other comedians who are bravely getting up and they've had a few beers. So those usually go well. I think it was just one very sincere musical theatre charity event and it just wasn't my crowd. I think a lot of people were getting up doing their um, Stephen Schwartz ballads and it was all very sincere. And then I got up there with my five minutes about chem sex in London and it just threw them a bit. <laughs> um, so I have confidence in the material. I just think it was uh, perhaps the wrong context. <laughs> <laughs> you live and learn, live and learn. Yeah. Uh, do, do hecklers um, exist very much nowadays? And, and how do you handle those hecklers? You know, I'm, I'm dying to be heckled because I did this great um, Soho uh, comedy course and we got to do a heckling exercise. And I have so much suppressed rage. It was so cathartic to practice what you'd say back to heckles. And uh, But no, it, it's not really trendy. Everyone's so woke these days. No one would yell out anything homophobic or anything to me. But I, I'm dying for them too because I've got a few, um, you know, it keeps me on my toes. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you have a, um, a comedy agent? Do they exist? Do you have somebody they who manages do. you or do you manage yourself? I'm having a ball managing myself at the moment. I'm such a goody two-shoes that if I had a manager at the moment, I'd just be constantly thinking like, oh, will they like this, you know? Will Crystal approve of this TikTok? So I'm really enjoying being my own boss for the moment. And then uh, once I start building a little bit more momentum, then then I would love a manager. You arrive at a gig. Do you have a routine that you go through, a, a warm-up or a, a ritual, something to to get you ready? It might be uh, uh, three vodka shots. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, in stand-up, especially if it's an open mic night, you, you can have a cheeky pint, uh, which is refreshing because the musical theatre, you definitely wouldn't drink before going on for Alphaba. So it is nice the culture is a little more relaxed. <laughs> Uh, but no, with with my musical theatre training, I um, try and do a good vocal warm up. Uh, you know, I've probably had an anxiety attack that morning after my double macchiato, so I've pushed through that. I've uh, try and do some low breathing work. If it's a full show, I'll have like a, a gorgeous friend with me um, who's filming the show or something to to slap me if I'm getting too nervous and, and just try and actually connect with the audience. You know, there's no fourth wall. It's not a three-hour checkoff, so I need to be relaxed and, and be brave enough to make eye contact. <laughs> You've been very lucky with uh, reviews, I imagine, or at least the ones that you post on your website. <laughs> <laughs> Moss is well, one to it. watch, Dress Circle Antics, and... Uh, gifted with gorgeously high cheekbones, Moss is just fascinating to watch. He has a particular <laughs> Broadway spark, that look that invites you to believe that anything is possible. Um, some lovely reviews, Henry. Uh, you, you obviously, do you Thank read you. reviews? Do you take much notice of them, the, the good and the bad? Oh, I do. Um, yeah, that Broadway spark one's hysterical. That actually came from Privates on Parade, I think, and it, it, it's so perfect. It's like I paid them. Uh, so that'll be on my gravestone. Um, and I, I, I do definitely care deeply what everyone thinks. I'm, I'm, I'm always begging critics to come 
to my show because it's so fabulous to to build up uh, quotes and press for future fringe applications. Uh, if um, if there's anything scathing, I'll, I'll try and take it constructively and and do a headspace uh, meditation to to breathe through it. But otherwise, um, I've been pretty lucky with positive reviews. Do you, do you get nervous before a performance, and how do you handle that if you do? Yes, definitely. Uh, there's so much to memorize when it's a solo show, and you're just looking out to to darkness and have to memorize. 45 minutes. So that's always pretty terrifying. I just try and memorize the show as much as I can and try and, you know, put everything into muscle memory. So even rehearse, you know, getting, getting onto the stage. So everything's choreographed. So hopefully I'm ready for anything to throw me. What's your favorite um, part of a theater that you, that you like spending time in? Uh, Downstage center. <laughs> <laughs> Downstage the orchestra center. pit. Uh, I love in musical theater when there's underscore and then you have to build to the song and, and time it perfectly. <laughs> so the song <laughs> bursts. All of those magical moments are brilliant. And uh, I can still do in stand up as well with a, with a corny uh, instrumental backing. I, I love a tech rehearsal. I love lighting. I think if I wasn't on stage, I'd be a very camp control freak lighting designer. I love a good crescendo blackout moment and a giant Cameron Macintosh set where the set slides in and out um, just gives me goosebumps. So I love uh, big production values as well. I love a zitz probe too. Isn't a zitz probe exciting? Oh, that, always. That first time hear the orchestra always tears um un unless you've just missed out on the lead and she's singing the main song and you, you've just got one tear roll down your cheek <laughs> thinking <laughs> this should have been mine um but no usually sits probe is so much fun and everyone's just over the moon it really lifts lifts the vocals with the full band well, musical theatre is so magic, as you you know intimated. Then, when the emotional stakes are so high with dialogue, you just burst into song. And then, when that those emotional yes. state is so high, you have to dance. Yes, I'm just so emotional. Yes. I have to sing. God, I'm a dancer. <laughs> build Spe and build. Speaking of a chorus line, the big number, "What I Did for Love," which is a song mm. about the sacrifices that you make to have a, a career in the theatre. What have you done for mm. love? Oh my! Uh, you mean my sacrifices for showbiz? Yeah, 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 love? yeah, yeah. No, 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 nothing. Uh, no, no, showbiz, showbiz, showbiz. God. Uh, well, in year eleven, I had to get ankle surgery on my trigger toe. I saw a lovely physiotherapist at McDonald College. That was uh, a big physical sacrifice. Um, well, as a dancer, really lots of injury. World. Lots of injuries. Lots of injuries. Um, safe dance practice we learn in HSC dance, luckily. Uh, I've been reasonably lucky with, with injuries and obviously I'm not dancing nearly as much, so I try and do some hot yoga so I don't completely break my hip if I do have to burst into the music in the mirror choreography or the, uh, the cat's audition comes around i hopefully won't break a knee so i try and try and do a vinyasa flow occasionally but i think yeah i think that probably the biggest sacrifice was just um moving to london which has been insanely exciting and and uh you know i'm i'm so lucky to have um you know my beagle and my my life partner here now but it is really hard and, and heartbreaking when my nieces and nephews are growing up so quickly but I'm, I'm trying to keep the spark alive with them so i'm doing uh singing lessons with with them and um you know going through all the frozen repertoire so hopefully my nieces can play young anna matilda annie you know the list goes on <laughs> that's that's the plan um now henry queen of scots is you've got a season uh towards the end of august i believe yes where, august where 19th you... and 20th 1920 and wh where are you playing that um at the hen and chickens theater in islington and uh it's a fabulous little uh, iconic uh comedy theater and 
two nights only and hopefully it'll be a gorgeous vibe everyone's so happy that it's finally summer things are opening up so uh, my link for tickets is in the bio of all my social media platforms and it should hopefully be a hoot and it'll be a 9 p.m show so hopefully everyone will be a few aperol spritz deep and uh, really enjoy themselves well, there will be some people listening uh, from the UK to this, so uh, they will be uh, keen to get along. Yes, uh, I and imagine. trigger warning, and trigger warning to our beautiful Sydney listeners who are losing their mind in lockdown currently. Um, I hopefully can do Henry Queen of Scots in you know twenty thirty two in Sydney when when things <laughs> finally open. But at least we have uh, all of your Instagram showings and. Uh, Yes. Again, anybody could find you there. You're Mr. Henry Moss, aren't you, on Insta? Yes. Um, some some idiot in Melbourne took at Henry Moss, so I will be Mr. Henry Moss uh, on every social media platform. And I guess that goes well goes well with my uh, gay uncle sort of singing teacher branding anyway so we'll stick with mr henry moss <laughs> no I, I love it i think it it, it it rings well uh and your website of course is how can we find the website mr henry moss.com easy <laughs> easy henry thank you it's been a delight to catch up again after so many years and to hear about yes. how your your wonderful career is going may you uh just soar high and go from uh the uh, best to better to to absolutely fabulous. Thank you. I couldn't have without you, Peter, believing in me. And I hope your kids all get into on stage with their groundbreaking group <laughs> performances. Um, Crystal will be there scouting new talent. So um, they're very lucky to have you as a teacher. I'll go into the whole story when we get off mic, but the the, uh, the GPs are in a state of flux at the moment because of the uh, <laughs> COVID, and and Gladys yes. is making all sorts of announcements about HSC exams and where mm. they'll be and how they'll be. It's a, it's as you're probably aware through your experience in London, um, it's a, a day by day um, happening here. Things change by the hour. I know, so stressful. Mm. Lord help us, Santa Maria. Santa Maria. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Thank you, Peter. Lots of love. <laughs> Wahoo. Henry is a sweetheart and a fine comedian. You can catch his antics daily on Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. More information at mrhenrymoss.com. You can also, of course, catch him live if you live in London. His next dates are Thursday, August 19th and Friday, August 20th at the Hens and Chickens Theatre, Camden Fringe. Thanks for joining us in this episode. You can check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast thus far by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.